Hello, you're listening to the Market Lane Coffee Podcast. This episode is part two of our mini series on how to open a coffee shop. Hello, Jason. Welcome back to our podcast studio. Uh, since last episode, we have opened a new shop on Queen Street. Do you want to talk about how that's going the first month or so? Hi, Anna. Hi, everyone. Thanks again for listening. Yes, that's right. We opened our new cafe on Queen Street about five, six weeks ago now, and it's been going very well. So with you know, new shops, there's always a few things that you have forgotten or didn't get quite right or still need to do. And uh, there's still a little bit of work to do. I think we need to uh, improve the outdoor seating area a little bit. And uh, we also want to replace one of the windows with like an operable window so we can serve drinks out there. But it's nice to be open and serving customers. So far, it's been quite quiet, but we haven't really shouted about the spot too much. When we opened Victoria Street, we spent a lot of time and energy basically bringing people from Therry Street to Victoria Street. And maybe some of our older staff will remember, but we literally walked people across with cups of coffee from Ferry Street all the way to Victoria Street across the market. So we did put a lot of time and effort into that. And that really gave it a really a great boost and a good start. Uh, we haven't done the same with Queen Street and we haven't really felt like we've had to. So um, we're going to basically just, you know, work on it a little bit more and see how it goes. So in part one, we talked about the business plan, the names, the budget. In this episode, we'll talk about the council regulations that we need to be aware of. Uh, we'll talk about how to negotiate a lease and also the timeline for opening a shop once we get the keys to our new shop. Mm -hmm. Shall we talk about uh, council regulations first? Yeah, I think so. That's the hardest one to get around. So it's a fairly important one. So when looking at a prospective site, so say you've you found a location, you really like the look of it, it's really important to check how the property is zoned because if it's zoned one way or another, it will impact what you can do on that property. And that's basically council um, mandating that you can't open, you know, an industrial foundry in a residential zone or you can't open a loud nightclub in a residential zone or you can't, you know, it's to control the amenity of the local neighborhood. Um, there are a few, there are many different zones, but the ones that affect hospitality are commercial zone, uh, capital city zone, uh, industrial zone, and residential zone. Uh, it is possible to rezone your property. So, for example, when we opened Faraday Street, it was classed as a residential zone, but it was the last property in the residential zone. And we went to the council and said, please let us open a cafe here. They said, just put in a planning permit application. We can change it from residential to commercial because it's, it is sort of a commercial zoned area anyway. And it took a lot of time and effort, but we got there in the end. So that was fine. But I would definitely recommend checking out the zoning on your property and uh, picking only only choosing a property that's zoned correctly or that has a good chance of being rezoned to a correct zone. And if you need any help, who would you go to ask? You ask planning consultants. So you would. We used a planning consultant called Hanson Partners for uh, Western Street. We needed a planning permit to open a coffee roastery. And basically, they helped us put the case forward to the council and they stayed in touch with them. But getting a planning permit for some things can take a few months. But for our coffee roastery, for example, a planning permit took 12 months to get and it was expensive. So if you can avoid a planning permit, um, it's definitely best to avoid it. So I think in the first episode, you your recommendation to save money is to take over something that was probably a cafe or a food business already. And it's very likely that that is in a appropriate zone. All right, so we got the zone sorted. Are there any other regulations that we need to look out for? Yeah, we need to comply with the Food Act um, if we're making coffee or serving food. 
And this basically says that you're going to be handling food safely. Um, and it's not very difficult to, to get registered for with the Food Act, but it is different for each council. Um, and some, some councils are a bit more picky than others. Um, but, but in general, it, it's very... Um, self-explanatory and fairly easy to use the there's like a guy a fit out guide as to what sort of materials you need to use and um, regulations around what sinks need to go where and things like that but it's an important one and you can't skip it because you'll get in trouble and how about your friends at uh, heritage victoria yeah good question they're actually quite helpful and um, quite proactive they're quite good on the phone so if you do find yourself in a heritage building you can always just give them a call and have a chat as to what you can do and what you can't do and it's better to be on the front foot with that as well because there can be some remediation works if you uh, put a nail in the wrong spot in a heritage building. But again, you, you can check this on, on the internet. You can go to like planning schemes online and check if the, the building you're in is, uh, has a heritage overlay on it or if it's uh, on the heritage register. Um, for example, Collins Street's on the heritage register because it's an extremely old, important building in Melbourne. And I think also Victoria Street and the Delhi. Mm-hmm. And Queen Street as well all have a heritage overlay on them. And just outside the shop, there's uh, usually a footpath. Usually there's a footpath and <laughs> usually it's nice to try and put some tables and chairs out on it as Melbournians do love a bit of alfresco coffee drinking. Uh, but there are there are regulations again. Now, they've they've really softened the, the enforcement of these regulations in the last three years. So cafes now are getting away with lots of things they wouldn't get away with before. And I think that's COVID related. So I wouldn't be surprised if it if it does get reeled back in at some point. Um, but basically, you've got to make sure that you leave access on the foot fa- footpath um, along the building line so that people can find their way uh, on the footpath, especially if they're disabled or they, you know, uh, have a wheelchair or they need some, they need access to basically the building line ha- should have clear access to it. How about um, access for wheelchair, things like that? Is that uh, relevant? Excellent question. Again, if the work that you do to the cafe to fit it out triggers a building permit, then you have to comply with all the new building codes. So if you're doing so much work to a space that you do require a building permit, and it's it's a little bit vague as to when you need a building permit and when you don't, but basically, if you're using a commercial builder or if you're altering the people flow through a space, so for example, if you block off an entry or if you put a wall up or if you put a new door in, if you do works over a certain amount, you'll need a building permit as well. Um, it's a little bit vague. You can use a building surveyor to tell you whether you need a building permit. The rule of thumb is though, basically, if you're doing, if you're doing anything structural, then you will probably need a building permit. And uh, the building permit, like I said, it, it triggers all the the requirements of a new building, which means it needs to be accessible. And that means that in general, it, need, it will need to have a ramp up into the main entry or a, you know, a slope down um, into the shop. It'll, the front door will need to be at least 900, 950 wide, whatever it is. Um, and if you have toilets, then they will need to be disabled access compatible. So they'll need to be quite wide, a big turning room in, in the toilets, things like that. that. That's all to say, if you can avoid triggering a building permit, again, it's good to avoid it because it does bring up a lot of things. Fire safety, again, is another regulation with building permits. You need to have um, proper lighting so that if there's a power outage, then special lights come on and show you where the exit is, sprinklers, all that kind of stuff. When we, when we talked about finding a place that was a cafe in the past, if you're taking that over and not doing very much to it at all, then you don't need a building permit, you don't need a planning permit. And you basically, you don't have to worry about those things like equal access or fire escapes, things like that. But those kind of plans seems like probably need the help of an architect that will probably be aware of. Yeah, exactly. If you think you're going to need a building permit, then you'll also need an architect and you'll need a commercial builder. So 
if you if you're starting to go down that line, then you probably want to decide whether you want a much smaller operation and a much smaller fit out and cost, or you're happy to go a little bit bigger. Hopefully that goes smoothly and we find uh, a nice location. We want to secure the lease. Mm -hmm. Shall we talk about how to negotiate with whoever is on the other side of the table? How do you negotiate the lease? It depends who you're talking to, I think is the most important the most important thing to remember. So for instance, you could be talking to a family who are in a building and they have only leased the shop once or twice and you're a new tenant. So negotiating with them you're probably not going to need a lawyer. You're probably not going to have a lot of back and forth. You're probably not going to need to go as far as you would go with, say, a developer. So in that instance, you would probably sit down with them and talk to them and say, ask them what they're looking for and try and keep it really simple and fair. With Sydney Road, that's basically our, our, the shop that we're opening now. That's basically what we did. The negotiations were very, very short. They said, we want this uh, rent for the for the tenancy. We said, that sounds fair. We want this this much rent free they said that sounds fair and we moved on so that was it and we used a standard uh standard lease form from the internet and uh we had our lawyer look over it they had their lawyer look over it and we just signed it so very straightforward yeah i was talking to you about the rent free period mm. um that is a commercial lease kind of Mm-hmm. Uh, standard i suppose yeah uh, which unfortunately uh apartments that you rent don't come uh, with a period of rent free <laughs> no <laughs> uh, so can you explain what that rent free period is for yeah it's it's basically an incentive for you to do a nice job fitting the space out and an incentive for you to to be able to stay so when a landlord is leasing you a space they're they're leasing you Sometimes they're leasing you a completely blank canvas, so a space that has only floors, ceilings, walls, but no finishes, no you know, no timber on the floors, no plaster on the walls, no plumbing anywhere, and it's going to take some time to fit it out. And during that fit out time, you're obviously not trading, and it's it's hard to sustain sustain a business, especially a new one or a small one, where you're not getting any income, but you're spending money on the fit out. So it's an incentive. The incentive could be. Um, a month uh, rent-free for every year of the lease. So, for example, if you're signing a five-year lease, it might be a five-month five-month rent-free period to fit it out. Um, but basically, the the way you should think about it is how long will you be fitting it out while you're not trading, and 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 that's the really crucial time from when you sign the lease to when you are able to trade. And in negotiating a lease, you can stagger it a little bit. So you can say. Uh, the lease commences, you know, in three months' time, and in three months' time, that's when the lease commences, and that's when the fit-out period starts, and then the fit-out period finishes three months after that, and then the rent-free period starts, and and so on. So you can sort of stagger it with, especially with developers or with you know more corporate landlords, you can sort of stagger it out and sort of delay when you have to start paying rent. And I think another thing to keep in mind is that. Commercial leases are usually for a little bit longer than uh, residential ones. It's usually five or ten years or something like that. Yeah, usually the minimum is three years. Um, people will try and do leases for one or two years, but the the thing with a lease is that it's completely binding. So if you're signing a lease, you're per- you're liable. Your your company's liable for the full three years of rent no matter what happens. So if it doesn't work out in the first year, you're liable for the full three years. Uh, but there are upsides because it means you have time to establish a business and you have a chance to make your money back off the fit out. We 
we found the ideal location mm-hmm. in the right zone. Got a good lease. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, the timeline for opening the shop. We got the name and the purpose and uh, the budget is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lease is signed. We got the keys. Let's talk about what happens next, the timeline for opening the shop. Yeah, well, I think it depends on, um, again, what sort of size and how confident you are that, that the um, tenant or that the project will go ahead. And if it seems really positive to you that, you know, you think early on this is all going to go ahead, I would be engaging someone to help me draw the space and get an idea of what sort of um, fit up budget I would need, what sort of layout, um, whether I'd need an architect or a builder quite early on. So even you know, in, in early negotiations with the landlord or even when we start to talk about leasing the place, I would start to try and get a really good idea of the type of fit out and the type of timeline that we're going to have um, for this place because that will also determine the negotiations. You know, if you're negotiating on a, a very big site where we, where you'll use an architect and a builder, you can use the plans from the architect and say, look, we're going to do a fantastic job here. We're going to do a really nice fit out. So we need more rent-free period. We, we need a bigger contribution from you to make this a really special place. So yeah, the timeline is sort of dictated a little bit on the scope of works. But say, say it's a, an existing cafe and you know, you're, you're doing a really simple you know, a paint job, you're going to replace some countertops and put a nicer espresso machine in there. Then hopefully it will only be out of action for a few weeks um, and you can get everything lined up and back open. If it's a very long negotiation with the developer, it could take, you know, six months or a year much longer mm. just before you mentioned someone to help you draw the space who are they who helps you draw well it depends if they need to be registered so if you're if you're if you're fitting out a very large space and you want to use a builder then they will need to be an architect um, if you're fitting out a smaller space and you're looking at doing a lot of it yourself they can be an interior designer or a decorator or you can do it yourself you know sketchup isn't that hard to use you can have a look at it and, and work out the layout and some finishes and fixtures and, and have a go yourself if it's not too, if the scope of works isn't too great. Um, of course, you're always going to need a plumber. You're always going to need an electrician. You can't get around doing plumbing work or electri- electrical work yourself if you're unregistered. But painting in maybe not the same professional finish as a professional painter, but you could probably do it yourself. You can definitely paint yourself. Of course, you probably won't get the same quality finish, but paint shops are always happy to give free advice and sell you paint. So you can definitely give that a go yourself. And also for the fit out, you could probably buy some furniture that looks nice, but maybe doesn't mm-hmm. come from the top shelf. Exactly. I mean, a lot of our, I, I think a lot of our most interesting fit outs have been the ones that we've we've done ourselves or we've you know managed the the cabinet makers for or we've you know we haven't used a, a builder um, for the whole lot very good so our shop is coming together we have the electricity we have water we have uh, painted the walls but we also need some equipment to make the coffee with what kind of equipment do we need for to start up our shop? The most basic things are, a, you know, an espresso machine, a grinder, and a water filter. I think a fridge as well. You, you don't really need a lot, and you can you can do a lot with very little. I think you know, especially if you're willing to spend the time and make customer service your focus, and and really base the experience that customers have on 
on you, your personality and the staff you employ, not just relying on the fact that a customer will come in and see a $25,000 espresso machine and go, hey, that looks like it's going to be nice coffee. There's lots of secondhand equipment out there that's um, usually half or a third of the price of the retail price of, um, of new equipment. Roasters usually get a discount from espresso machine manufacturers. So what we do with our wholesale accounts is we help them purchase espresso equipment so if they would like to buy an espresso machine we, we we can usually help by passing along a discount that we get from an espresso machine manufacturer to them as well no i think you can spend a lot of time and money choosing the very best equipment for a cafe but you really don't have to we we have we have some very nice restaurant wholesale accounts that have you know more domestic size grinders and you know a lot of the quality is still it's based on the quality of coffee that they buy not necessarily you know, down to the particle size distribution in the grinder. Obviously, EK43 grinders are great and they do a really good job and we prefer to buy them. But if I was strapped for cash and I could spend $4,000 on an EK43 or I could spend $2,000 on a fridge and then $2,000 on paint, I might spend that on paint in a fridge rather than a very expensive EK43 and I'd probably use a domestic grinder or something smaller to, to start with. It's it's really easy to overspend initially and it's very, very difficult to make that money back. Imagine you're only making you're making 10% profit on every sale that you make. So you have to make you have to turn over 10 times what you've spent to get the money back. And uh, for a filter, if you mm-hmm. <laughs> if you choose to have filter coffee on the menu, which yeah. hopefully you do, that equipment is also pretty reasonable. Yeah, it's quite reasonable. I mean, you can get a Burko boiler for, you know, $1,500 and a, the small equipment they use to, to brew. If you're doing hand brew, it will only cost you a couple hundred dollars to get the setup. Again, you can overspend. You can get a Marco SP9, like the undercounter things, for $4,000, you know, or you can get a filter cone and do it yourself for like $200. You probably need a few other things like a appealing sugar station, uh, speakers for the music, things like that. You know, you can, you can get the vintage record player and and the LPs. You can get, you know, really high fidelity speakers or you can get a Bluetooth speaker. You can go one way or the other way. They're both going to work as long as the space feels warm, welcoming, and you've got a smile on your face when customers walk in and the coffee tastes good. You know, that's that's how you're going to be successful. Spending a lot on those things won't guarantee you success. So there's also a lot of back of house stuff that you can save money on if you don't want to buy a new dishwasher. You've saved yourself $5,000. You know, you can hand wash dishes for a little while and keep a space aside for a dishwasher. Make sure there's a the right uh, power outlet near there and, and, and plan to buy a dishwasher when you've saved up a bit of money. Thank you, Jason. In episode three, we will uh, open up our imaginary coffee shop and talk about the uh, menu, the pricing, merchandise and uh, marketing. If you have any questions to Jason about uh, coffee shops, please send them to training at marketlane.com.au or maybe send uh, Jason a Slack message. Yeah, we'd love to hear uh, what your thoughts are and if you have any particular questions. We got some general feedback that it would be interesting to hear about this stuff, but we'd love to know any specifics, any hard questions, please. Uh, Sounds good. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.